We are live. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I'm Ed Mullins. Welcome to To The Point. With me again is Bill Cannon. And tonight, our special guest is Daryl Turner, the executive director for the Portland PPA. Um, Daryl, welcome. It's been good to see you. We haven't caught up in a while. But uh, tonight, we have a lot to go over. The city of Portland has been in the news nationwide for over a year. Uh, a lot of violence a lot of craziness. It seems to be the focal point of um, everything that is uh, contributing to uh, policing in America. Uh, you have a mayor, Mayor Wheeler, who I have to describe as being out of touch, uh, at least from the viewpoint of everything I've read and from what news reports are. So um, that being said, is the city of Portland, Portland has been known as a vibrant city. But it's, it's now a uh, city to the homeless. PCs covering the streets, panhandlers all over. Um, I'm told that it's not uncommon to find needles or garbage-filled RVs parked along the streets. Uh, this is common, you know, in, in the parks, the roadways, along storefronts. Um, how is this happening? Is my description of this accurate uh, of what's going on in Portland? It is. It is accurate. And uh, I considered it a, what I call a slow burn. Um, and really it started years ago with uh, Occupy Portland, where the, um, the, the, the elected officials took a stance of allowing uh, people who were, these were not protesters, people who were rioting to do what they wanted to do uh, with, with a very little police intervention. Um, and once that happened, sporadically, we would have protests that turned into riots. Um, most of those were uh, the far left and the far right, the Patriot Prayer um, people. But eventually, obviously, last year, there was an explosion like we had never seen before. Um, we had 150-plus days of rioting in the city of Portland um, after the George Floyd murder. Um, and it totally overtook and, and pretty much... Uh, Squash the message of social justice and racial equity to burn, uh, destroy, vandalize uh, to a point where our downtown is almost like a ghost town. Businesses are boarded up. Um, the picture you see was not uncommon. Every time there was a riot, fires. Um, they came to the Portland Police Association office at least a dozen times, uh, burned it in different places outside. Uh, at least half a dozen times, um, and uh, with no uh, no uh, um, decrying from the elected officials that this was wrong. Businesses, churches, boys and girls club, no place was safe from the rioters of destruction. And, and Daryl, there was no, uh, the, the flavor of the day was not to arrest people and no prosecution, I assume. Uh, so last June, um, our uh, elected, new elected uh, district attorney stepped in um, when the, the, the prior district attorney retired early. Uh, he came out with a statement almost right away to say that he was not going to arrest people from protests for what he called minor offenses. Um, but what he didn't anticipate and what he didn't uh, know because he had no knowledge, he had never been uh, really a, a, a a DA trying criminal cases. He had never really been a DA at the DA's office where you, know, you build relationships and, and, and partnerships with police officers through cases that are being done, um, was that those things would escalate. Uh, people who were in violation three, four times then escalated to more violence, uh, fires. Uh, we had a murder. We had several assaults in the streets during those protests that turned riot. Daryl, you said the police association building was set on fire. Uh, was it burnt down or was it just fire started there? Uh, no, it wasn't burnt down or a fire started. Uh, like I said, at least half a dozen times fires were started. Uh, but luckily for us, uh, the building is made of concrete on the outside. Um, so the fires that got inside were put out quickly, uh, but they did cause damages to the point where we can no longer use that office as our, our uh, station of operation. Um, we actually are in the process of moving out of the office as, as we speak. Daryl, is, is the electorate so 
left wing that they won't demand that the elected officials do something about this? This sounds outrageous. They have lost control, and it's not just control of the city during the protests and during the riots. Uh, right now, and, and I understand that bigger cities have uh, larger numbers, but Portland is almost first in the nation right now in a, a per capita for, for uh, gun violence. Um, we, had a, we had four people shot after a funeral for uh, a young man who was shot and killed. Uh, this is all gang violence, this is retaliatory. Uh, but we had four people shot, they went to the hospital, uh, other rival uh, gangs showed up at the hospital, breached the hospital entrances to get into the hospital. At least one person was seen to have had a weapon um, at that hospital where people were being treated. The emergency room had to shut down. They had to lock our, one of the major hospitals in the Northwest down because of uh, the retaliatory uh, gang violence uh, potential. And we call what we call the code zero, which means every police officer in the city comes to the hospital. That is unacceptable. Uh, citizens of Portland are living in fear, not just fear of the gang violence or the gun violence, but also in fear of the rioting, in fear uh, to go downtown. Nobody goes downtown anymore. Um, our streets are littered with people who are homeless. Uh, there are no resources for the people who are homeless to be able to get off the streets, to be able to start on a path to be back in, in, injected into society with successful off-ramp. There's nothing doing, there's nothing with that. The uh, city council just took over $4 million uh, this last April, uh, one-time money to enhance park rangers to deal with the gun violence. Park rangers are unarmed, untrained, and unable to do that. But they're, they're, they did that. Um, we are on a record pace more so than 1987. We are gonna, we're at a pace faster than 1987 for shootings and homicides in the city of Portland. Daryl, the mayor seems to be correct with blaming the police for this by asking the question, if the police are profiling or if there's a bias by the cops where they're not taking police action, is that true? And if not, what is the cause of you know, the violence that we're watching? So we've been handcuffed. The police officers have been handcuffed for years and it's gradually gotten worse and worse. Um, uh, obviously, for us, there is no place uh, for personal political bias when it comes to providing public safety, as I wrote um, in 2018. Um, and the police commissioner, who is the mayor of our city, has failed as police commissioner drastically. He does not have any concept of what it takes to on what it takes to stop gang violence, to be proactive policing and gang violence, to build relationships in the community with people so that when we can stop gun violence before it even happens. He has no concept of that, and neither does our city council. Uh, are you getting enough resources for the cops? And what's the pulse of the civilians? I mean, why why is the general residency of the city of Portland tolerating this? Is there an outcry from the public? Sure. Uh, the the uh, our main main news publication called the Oregonian just did a poll, and in that poll. 72% of the people that were polled believe that we should either enhance the police bureau but not defund the police bureau. Um, they're not listening to the pulse of the city. They're listening to the loudest talkers. They're listening to the people who get the media attention. They're having knee-jerk reactions to things that are happening in different parts of the country and uh, obviously imposing their will here in the city of Portland, uh, stopping us from being able to do proactive policing. Um, last June, last July, they de deactivated our gun violence reduction team. Prior to that, uh, our gun violence reduction team took hundreds of guns off the street, uh, arrested dozens of suspects who were believed to be involved in, in, in gun violence, gang violence, and got convictions on those, and probably stopped hundreds of uh, shootings from happening with their proactivity by taking those guns off the street. They defunded that unit and disbanded it. 34 officers, investigators, and sergeants all together. They disbanded it. Every month since then, gun violence has peaked higher every month than it has in any year we've had. Up to the point you know, now where we're on a record, you know, on a record they're pace. Doing, they're doing the same thing in New York City. They've uh, eliminated one of the most successful units in the history of the New York City Police Department, which is the anti-crime units, which work plain clothes. And they... Spe specifically are assigned to take guns off the street. 
they are penalizing cops for doing stop, question, and frisk. They've made it so cops can be easily sued if they do what uh, the DA or whoever considers a bad search. So they're basically handcuffing the cops, much like what is happening in Portland. And it's really disgraceful because these elected officials have no clue on how to police, but yet they're, they're the ones in charge of the police and rendering the police ineffective. Exactly. But not only rendering the police ineffective, they are putting citizens at risk because every time there's gun violence, this last shootings we had where four people were wounded, there were 50 shots fired at a McDonald's. So you can imagine McDonald's after a funeral, everybody congregating there, um, and 50 gunshots fired into and outside of the McDonald's. Uh, we are lucky we didn't have anyone killed, and we're lucky that we didn't have more wounded. Um, and not only that, they're having gang violence where they're actually stalking and assassinating people. This is not like driving by and saying, hey, I see somebody on the blue team or on the red team standing over there. This is people that are stalking you, following you around all day long, and then assassinating you when they think the time is right in broad daylight on open streets. The last one we had, or not the last one, but one of the ones we had recently was at rush hour on a main street. The, the man was sitting eating pizza um, when he was assassinated. Bill was just telling me prior to coming on, um, New York City in Brooklyn, uh, there was a, a, a male killed, and at the vigil, uh, another male was killed while attending the well, vigil. Actually, a female, a female, a female was killed, killed yeah. while attending the, uh, the vigil. So more gunshots, um, you know, followed gunshots previously. Uh, this, this seems to be an epidemic across the country in mostly Democrat-run cities. I, I mean, we're not really talking about other cities. Mayor Wheeler, uh, my understanding, comes from a privileged background. And um, what information do you have on him and, and his family? Well, you know, it, it's just, this is part of the problem is he, he, he's a person who's a trust fund baby, went to Stanford, went to Harvard, and he doesn't have the ability to understand. He doesn't, he doesn't have the life experience to understand and the lived experience to understand what it takes in these neighborhoods. Over 60%, over 65% of the people who are shot in the city of Portland are African-American. But nobody listens to those stats when they talk about, well, so many African-Americans are stopped and so many people of color are, are, are arrested and this and that and the other. We can always weed that out, but we surely can't stop doing police work. We can't stop doing our job based on a race of a person. And he's one of those people who just wants to be the savior and he can't do that. He doesn't have the lived experience. He doesn't understand the dynamics of the gang life, of the street life, of the, of the life of, of people who, for some reason, I call the rungs in a ladder. There's rungs in a ladder uh, in this country where the top rung is education and employment and housing. And when all those rungs fail you, you get to the bottom of that rung. The last rung in the ladder is law enforcement. The last rung in the ladder is when you're faced with law enforcement and, and all those other systems that failed, yet in this country, it falls on our shoulders to fix all those ills. We can blame for those, those, those ills when nobody else has to face those. Our elected officials are the ones who are failing us in this country, and they're failing us because their policies are flawed. They're, de they're, they're defunding police, they're depolicing our cities to the point where it's not safe for anybody. Hardworking, taxpaying citizens have to go and hide in their homes after dark because they don't have the ability to feel safe. And downtown Portland is a perfect example. It's a ghost town right now. Business is up. You bring up a point that most people will not talk about. In fact, um, I'm pushing to run radio ads here in the city of New York on, you know, African-American males, you know, predominantly males, are the ones being shot in the streets. And, you know, the, the, these policies are all as a result of police-involved shootings with African-American males to which the numbers just do not add up. I mean, yes, we're involved in incidents. Yes, there's been some horrific incidents. But at the end of the day, the stats do not support the fact pattern. Um, what is it that these elected officials, in this case, we're talking about Wheeler, a guy who's really had no life experience, just refuses to do anything about it? And where is the community to complain to say, hey, it's our people who are dying because they want the police there. I have no doubt about it. They want the police in the communities. What's taking place there in Portland in the African-American communities? Are they complaining? And, and that's actually it. In the African-American community, we have people who are longstanding uh, 
advocates uh, for change. We have people who are long-standing advocates for uh, police. I call it evolution. Um, however, they are also strong advocates for policing in their neighborhoods. They are also strong advocates for taking the guns out of their neighborhoods. Nobody's listening to them. I talk to people weekly, daily sometimes, who are, have been supportive for 30 years of the police. Sure, they want to see some changes, but they also want to make sure their neighborhoods are safe. And they want to make sure that young black men aren't being killed in our neighborhoods, young black women aren't being killed in our neighborhoods. And really, it's just, it doesn't matter who you are, you shouldn't be killed in your neighborhood, you should feel safe in your neighborhood. When we have incidents like what happened with George Floyd in Minneapolis, uh, that officer, that police officer murdered a man in, in broad daylight on video. He was tried, he was convicted uh, and, and of many charges. If he has appeals, he has appeals, but in the end, the justice system worked. Right. Um, there are going to be incidents. You have 800,000 law enforcement officers in this country, as you know, Ed. Uh, right. We have millions of contacts a day, a day. And yet, when one contact goes bad in the eyes of the media, in the eyes of the left, in the eyes of where, whoever it may be, they personify that to code us all as police officers are all bad, all police officers are killed, all police officers are racist. Yet, you flip the script, and then they say that we do that, we, we race profile, we do all these other things. They stereotype, say we're stereotyping, yet they stereotype every police officer in this country when one of those incidents happen. Exactly. Okay. You know, what's interesting is that in the Floyd case, and you just said that, uh, you know, we watched the justice system, criminal justice system ran its course, and justice was served. And you yeah. didn't hear, I have not heard one police officer um, or police union official across the country tell me that that was an unfair or biased verdict. Not one. Where no. normally you get a protest if there was some other backlash from a verdict. You know, the, uh, if the verdict didn't go the right way, then the justice system failed. In this case, the justice system works, then that's the end of it. But we, we have to get that message across to the communities because the justice system does work. It's not perfect, but it works. Yes, it's, not perfect. It's, it's not perfect in any case. If Sherwin was a civilian, never been a police officer, I can guarantee you that that case might not look the same way uh, in, in normal circumstances. And we should be held to a higher standard. We should be held to a higher level of accountability because we're trusted with the safety of the public. And when we reach that and like you said, I didn't hear any union president, big or small, uh, when this first happened, not even say the word murder. But especially after the, the verdict was, was in, you, Pat Lynch, whoever it may be, all of us said the same thing from the very beginning, uh, that this put a stain on all of us. No cop likes a bad cop because it makes us all look bad. But it shouldn't resonate that what happened in Minneapolis is going to happen every place else. We have to make sure it does it. But yet, no, how do we lose all our trust? How do we lose... Uh, all our rights in the state of Maryland, they just tore up the police bill of rights uh, and they're going to tear it up and they're going to write something different. The legislature has in the state of Oregon. Um, they've, uh, they've passed legislation. They call police reform legislation. Um, and it limits the ability of police officers to do their jobs and keep neighborhoods safe. So this is happening all over the country. The dynamic in the city of Portland is, is that we have what we call the weak marriage system. It's archaic. The mayor of our city, dulls out all the bureaus to all the other commissioners. We have four other commissioners. But none of those commissioners are in charge of a district in that city. They are in charge of bureaus. So they are not beholden to any part of the city. They are holding to bureaus. So they fight over a budget for their bureaus, and those bureaus are not always advantageous to what we need in our neighborhoods. And so that is the difference between our political system, which needs to go, but it will still take 10 years to change that system. And right now, uh, that's just not uh, not a system that works for us. And the city of Portland was once flourishing in the early to mid 2000s. And uh, 20, I believe it was 2018, I said our city is becoming a cesspool. And that was a big deal. And there were people on both sides of the fence who, believe, who, who agree with it and people who disagree with it. Um, the city is 10 times worse now than it was in 2018. You cannot walk down a street downtown without seeing tents, garbage, like you said, fecal matter. Uh, the city spends millions, and I mean tens of millions of dollars to clean up the city, to clean up the, the trash every year, every year, and continuously do that, continuously cleaning up all those things. And our elected officials are not 
thinking about what can we do to get resources to people, get them off the street, and get them on a successful pathway to life. Daryl, you mentioned that this is something that's going on in cities across the country, which I agree with. I know Bill does. We've spoken about this. Uh, Portland is home to a group of anarchists. Every time we see something in Portland and Santifa related, um, you know, there, there's information that, you know, they're working on a downfall of government. And this is a national movement, but they gravitate toward Portland based on a political dynamics that seems to be conducive to their message. Is this true? Is what I'm getting through the, the, the rank and file police offices see this? And if so, what's being done about it? Uh, I wholeheartedly believe that Portland is, the, is one of the epicenters of, of the anarchist movement. Um, as you saw all those pictures there, those are people who ended up in the, in the protest for social justice and racial equity. Yet, I don't see a dark space in there. Um, so this is all about causing as much damage, causing as much destruction as they possibly can because they have no respect for other people's property, they have no respect for other people's rights, and at times they're holding neighborhoods as well as business owners uh, hostage uh, to whatever they want to do. And they have been entitled and enabled by our political, uh, elected political officials in the city of Portland, and now they can't turn that clock back, and now they can't undo the damage, and now they have lost the trust of the large percentage of people in the city of Portland. Businesses are closing, people are losing their jobs because those businesses are closing. This is all affecting our tax base and our budget for the city. And uh, the police, the police bureau was the only bureau in the city that took a budget cut in the whole city. I was just going to say, this has been going on for over a year. Why is there not a big investigative component to this? And part B is, why is the FBI not involved in this? Because this, this is violating the rule of law. They're violating the civil rights of citizens of this community. And they seem to be acting with impunity in the destruction of property. I know this has to be organized. I I've spoken to people that say, oh, no, they're not organized. Oh, really? How do they get buses? They know what time to take the bus to the they're city. Organized. They get, they're organized. They get funding. They get intelligence, uh, just like any other uh, domestic terrorist organization. That's what they are, domestic terrorist organization. A hundred percent. Then why are they not being investigated? Why? They could use RICO against these guys. I, I really don't have any idea why. They just started... The, they, they just started arresting people um, just recently. Uh, a young lady who helped set fire to our union office the last time was arrested. But that was the first time she was arrested uh, for anything. She's been involved in many of these incidents. And it got so bad in these riots that the rioters would say no more live streaming. They didn't want anybody to see what they were doing because they were getting arrested because the federal government was arresting them. The feds were arresting them. Um, when they were damaging federal property, but the city was not arresting them and charging them. Well, I shouldn't say arresting them. They weren't being charged, and we were told they weren't going to be charged by our district attorney. Daryl, if they're not being charged and we're watching the violence going on, um, why then are we sending police officers out there to make these arrests and putting them in harm's way? I mean, I, I know what our job is, and I know that cops we want to prevent these things from happening but basically we're becoming uh no different than a neutered puppy just being put out there to, to be abused to be injured to have you know molotov cocktails thrown at us um what does the chief of the portland pd say and why is he holding to no inaction knowing that mayor wheeler is wrong so first of all to not uh, kind of an answer to your first question is, as you know, Ed, you and I, old guys, back in the day, we'd go out there, we were protecting the public. We took responsibility for the areas that we worked in our, in our cities. That was like our responsibility. And if something bad happened, we wanted to fix it. That's the same with the young officers now. They feel an obligation and, 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 and to the people in the city, the residents of the city who are silent, but who are afraid. They feel that obligation out there, just like always. And that's the kind of people we want as police officers. We don't want people who don't care. We want people who care. Uh, and I agree. We want to send a warning to the people of the city. Don't come out. Stay in. Our mayor, our police chief, 
is not allowing us, nor will our DAs prosecute. Why not send that out there and name the people? Because I don't see people doing it. On our end, we have named it, and Americans say he's not handcuffing people. Our, new, our, our chief of police right now, he uh, became the chief, well, he became the chief of police last June, I believe it was. He was a lieutenant because nobody else wanted the job. He got promoted to uh, captain, and the next week he was chief of police. Um, right away, they took $15 million out of the budget and took 84 bodies away to the tune of almost $27 million right away. So um, he is working at the behest of the police commissioner, who's the mayor. And he follows the mayor's lead or he loses his job. Can, can the mayor be recalled? They have never had a successful recall in the city of Portland, and that hasn't even been mentioned. Uh, the mayor went through the last election. He actually had, he didn't make it through. He made it through the primary, uh, but the incumbents usually don't. They win in the primary. He had to run against uh, another uh, opponent, and that opponent uh, touted herself as the Antifa candidate. And he just, his margin of, of beating her was not very big. That just tells you kind of the makeup and the mindset of the uh, people who elect people in the city of Portland. She was close enough to win where she got it. The, the only reason she really lost the election is because she had no experience whatsoever in any political field. She, she ran a antique store, but she <laughs> says she was an antifa candidate. She made it through the primary. She actually, it's almost, like I said, his margin of uh, victory was not very large. Now, that is the most disheartening thing I think I've ever heard, that an antique dealer who's a member of Antifa almost becomes the mayor. That That's pathetic when you well, think Bill, about Well, Bill, we have made de Blasio, who's done nothing in life, and supported the Nicaraguans, you know, the uh, Sandinistas in Nicaragua who became the mayor. So, and and, and look, at, look at some of the people we got in this picture. Well, I mean, we have a businessman. We have a former cop. And... Um, you know, we got the city controller who is, you know, really just on standby. But, you know, each of them has a lot more than the candidate in Portland and the clown mayor that we have in the city of New York. Uh, at what point do we start having the public get out and, and start demanding people to lead? And this is where we're, we seem to be missing it. This hey, yeah, do, you, yeah, do you remember the Tompkins Square riots? Yes. Do you remember what the big... Um, from the police department's point of view, what the biggest mistake was, was not locking people up. Right. Because they then felt that if you lock people up, the leaders, those are the leaders that are doing the most egregious things. Lock, cut off the head of the horse and you'll stop the riot. That became NYPD policy after that. But it seems like now, if you can't lock people up, the police are just there to be battered and uh, abused by, by these protesters. Well, we're blamed, actually, when things go bad. We're blamed for allowing this to happen, but I, I gotta you know, call it the way it is. I mean, we have chiefs, and I know that you lose your job, but is this really a job, or are we taking you know, grown, grown adults, men and women, we're making them chiefs, they're members of law enforcement, and then we say, okay, you're the chief and you're in charge, but I'm gonna pimp you out, to the public eye, and you're going to do what I tell you to do, even though you know it's wrong. Who wants to take that job? Is, yeah. what, what do you, you know, hold on to the character of yourself and not surrender to what's wrong? And our chief, Chuck Lavelle, is a very smart guy, very bright, uh, hardworking. I, I've known him for years and years and years. Um, but when you get promoted from lieutenant to the next week you're a captain to the next week you're the chief of police, um, that's a large jump. That's we've, I've never seen anything like that before. And I'm not saying he didn't deserve the job. It was more like who else was qualified to take the job and who else wanted the job. We um, had a third. We had a third grade detective become police commissioner in New York. Yeah. So, yeah. so um, he, he's trying his best, but again, he works at the behest of the mayor and the city council. And you know, when you get your budget taken away, when you get your staffing taken away. Um, uh, I will give him credit for this. He doesn't. He could just walk away. He could say, "I'm done here," and go someplace else and work. And I'm sure somebody else would take him. Uh, not only that, go back to being a captain, and you know, the 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 the, uh, the reduction in pay he would take is well worth it for his health, for his well-being. Um, but he truly believes that in some shape or form, he can make this work and, and work out. But city council um, is, is anti-police. The mayor is anti-police. 
the mayor went out and went and walked with the protesters in a protest. It became a riot. And when they got tear gas, he was in the middle of the tear gas. They, uh, they, they, they make fun of him and call him tear gas Teddy now. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, it, it, he looked ridiculous out there. He made, he made a fool of himself. And uh, he thinks he was doing the right thing. Like I said, he wants to be the savior. He, he has no, he and I are as opposite as two people could ever be, besides the fact of how we look, um, the color of our skin. Um, uh, I know uh, I've talked to Ed before about this, but I was born and raised in Newark, New Jersey. Uh, I, I, I was raised in the projects um, in Newark. Uh, I was eight years old when we had the Newark riots. Um, and I remember my grandmother taking me and my younger brother, and she lived in an apartment with a cast iron bathtub. It was old cloth with cast iron bathtubs, and that's where we slept at night during the riots. Because she believed that if bullets came through the house, that we'd be protected. Um, so we come from totally different places. He doesn't understand what it, need, what it takes to need and want, and what it takes to survive out on the street. And he doesn't understand that. And so he makes these decisions based on, you know, book knowledge, which doesn't equate to street knowledge, which doesn't equate to even common sense most of the time. Um, and, and here we are today in the city of Portland. Why would the city of Portland, with only 670 or 80,000 people, become the laughing stock nationally on the national news, on CNN, on Fox, on, on, on local newscasts? My mother still lives in New Jersey, still lives uh, just outside of North and East Orange. And she, called, she, she was calling me almost every other day in the summer, going, what's going on in Portland? 80-year-old woman calling me up saying, what's going on in Portland? Because you're on the news again. So, um, The city of Newark is actually the sixth borough of New York City. That's how we, we work with the Newark PD guys all the time. Oh, yeah. really like, why is the change in the mayor of Portland uh, going now, no more violent protests and willing to make arrests? He just made this change in April of this year. What transpired there, Daryl? But that's not that's not 100 true. They are making arrests, but only for the most uh, 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 egregious crimes, like arson. Um, they are not making their they are not making the arrests that need to be made for disorderly conduct. They are not making the arrests that need to be made for vandalism. The Boys and Girls Club was vandalized. A church churches have been vandalized. Banks have been vandalized. Businesses owned by people of color have been vandalized. Yet nobody's been arrested. They they're not. Arrested. Willer has stood with the protesters, though. He has sided with the protesters, marched yes. with the protesters. And He's one of the protesters. Joy Hardesty, one of our other commissioners, has marched with the protesters and stood by the protesters and agitated the protesters, and it continues to happen. Um, a, a man was killed downtown uh, by a protester, shot and killed. Uh, one man was beaten and looked like he should have been dead and he survived by a. And, and I, I take that back, not protesters, rioters. Um, there's a difference. Like I said, the social justice and racial equity uh, stance that people were taking all over the country and the city of Portland was totally squashed, was totally muted uh, by the violence and the rioting taken over by the anarchists. Daryl, who are these people? When you run their, when they get arrested, when you run their uh, criminal histories, when you run their addresses where they live, uh, are they from wealthy families? Are they actually from Portland? Are they, or are they outsiders? coming in to join this anarchist movement. Who are these uh, fine looking people in this picture here? And, and I will say, and uh, all the intelligence that I got was number one, they're not uh, obviously people of color. Obviously they're not people who come from the, the, the lower income brackets and, and not all of them are even from the city of Portland. And like, and I know you guys noticed on Preaching to the Choir is that there's a network of anarchists nationwide that support each other. There are anarchists that come from Seattle to uh, to riot in Portland because they know they can get away with it. There are anarchists that, from Portland that go and riot in Seattle because they know they can get away with it. And nationwide, we have people come from different parts of the country to riot in the city of Portland, and, and, and it's just been the status quo. So like I said, it is a domestic terrorist organization. It is funded. It has intelligence. Um, it has all the makings of uh, an organization that should be investigated by RICO under RICO statutes, but for some reason or another, that is not happening. Bill, a, a question for you is, you know, Daryl pointed out, none of these rioters appear to be people of color. The photos we have, I mean, Daryl's got firsthand knowledge of being on the ground. Um, 
what we've seen as a result of you know these old white photos is uh, many African Americans being killed in the cities where this is happening. Is this somehow reversed where we protest, defund the police, and it's working in essence to actually harm African Americans in their communities? What are your thoughts on that? I, th I think 100%, and I, I think every city that, that seems to have a Democratic mayor and base, that's where the highest level of crimes are. You know, when you look at Baltimore, when you, when you look at Seattle now, when you look at some of these uh, Chicago, out of control cities. And you know, when the, the, the left always likes to quote science, we're gonna look at the science, we're gonna look at the science. They won't look at the science in crime because it goes against their ideology. Unless You're there's right. a motive for this. And that's what I'm raising the question is, is there a motive? If this is organized, you know, who is funding this? And is there a motive to cause these riots so that the crime skyrockets in the African-American communities, and we're seeing the result of the bloodshed. Is well, I that, think it has something to do with, with the money. Take the money away from the police and give the money into the community. I think there's probably huge corruption with the that. The money's not going to the community. Yeah, it's probably lining the pockets of some of these very same now, politics. Where's the money going? We're, we're watching violence. We're watching, you know, the body count increase, you know, and this was all based on, you know, building bridges and, you know, change in reform, but yet we're ending up with more people shot and killed. It doesn't make sense. Like, who is funding it? Daryl, do you have any information as to who's funding these organizations? And we don't. I think it's coming from all different places. I don't think it's coming from one place. I don't think it's like a big conglomerate that is. I mean, I think they're having money come from different places. But one thing I want to touch on what, what, what Ed said about the, the effect on a, especially African American community. Um, and, and, and growing up on the East Coast, and especially New Jersey, New York area, back in the day, back in the day when politicians uh, were trying to, trying to do something for the neighborhoods, they started job programs and education programs. That, so these young men and women who didn't go to college or didn't have a chance to go to college were becoming electricians and plumbers and getting trades. That's not what's happening nowadays. They're, they're putting people out there to outreach and say, it's okay, you'll be okay. They're not teaching anybody anything. They're not, giving people resources to better themselves, to build up their self-esteem. So that's why we see, whether it be the anarchist movement or whether we see gang violence, we're seeing these things because the, 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 they're, not, they're not saying to people, we can, we can help you, we can give you these things. They're throwing money at programs that don't work, that are flawed. And our elected officials, I'm gonna tell you this, the use of police as scapegoats, they are the biggest criminals of all. They are the ones who are getting away with the most crime because they're the ones who made the laws that we enforce, and when we enforce them, then they try to hang us out to dry. And Ed knows this as well as I do. When I started out, I worked for 29 and a half years as a police officer. When I started, the worst thing you could do was they said, don't lie, don't lie, don't lie. Always have integrity, treat people with the respect that you wanted to be treated with. If it were your mother, father, sister, or brother. That's what I was taught to do. I was taught to treat everybody the same, whether they're the CEO of a corporation or they live in a cardboard box under the bridge. That's what I was trying to do as a police officer. Now, Ed and I have to tell our police officers, don't get indicted, don't go to jail, uh, don't, lose your, don't lose your livelihood, but not only don't lose your livelihood, don't have your whole family embarrassed in front of the places they live. Um, we just had an officer involved shooting about three weeks ago. A mentally ill guy was, had substance use issues, was playing around with what people call a gun, which was a gun. Um, he approached police uh, from several feet away. Police officers saw the, saw the gun clearly um, and shot it. It was, a, it was a replica gun. Last weekend, they went to this police officer's house and did a march at this police officer's house on his, at his personal residence. He had to leave his residence, go someplace else. They put flyers all over his neighborhood, post up on a post that he was a murderer. What if Officer Turner or, 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 or Officer Mullins did the same thing? What if we did the same thing in our young days as police officers, put those posters up in neighborhoods of people? You know what would have happened. Um, the police officers today have a different dynamic to work under than we did 20 years ago, 25 years ago. It's not just about public safety. It's not just about relationships, friendships, and partnerships you build in communities. They have to worry about getting indicted and going to jail for things just for doing their job. Dal, I want to ask you one thing. We have all of these people uh, from Antifa identified they've been arrested 
Why can't we go after them, the union go after them civilly? Start suing them. Start hitting them in the pocket. Then if the government's not going to prosecute them for their crimes, if they're going to attack police officers, cause damage to police officers, cause damage to people's property, why don't, why don't people sue them? And, 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 and I think part of that, you know the answer to that. So any lawsuit takes years in court, number one. And then you have to give judges. You have to give judges who are fair and equitable. I think, and, and maybe, maybe it's just in Portland, we have had judges call police officers liars in court. It's not just in Portland, Daryl. It's an epidemic across the, the country. Qualified immunity is going away in, in, in many places. So that means police officers are now on the hook in civil suits. So I, I get what you're saying, but is, is it realistic to believe that as a union, you sue somebody who started a fire at your, who has nothing anyway? Her parents may have something, but she has nothing. Sue her, go through the courts for two to three years in civil court to get nothing, pay the legal fees. Um, or is our day-to-day jobs more important to make sure that we take care of our people um, and, and our resources and our funds go more towards those than to lawsuits that judges are going to look at us and go, you're police officers, you can't sue people. Because that's exactly the mentality, I think, in the civil courts of judges, that police officers get sued, but that civilians don't get sued by police officers. Well, for the record, I've sued a couple of people who've assaulted police officers, particularly my sergeants. You bring up a good point. It is very time-consuming. I've gone through it. We're still going through it. But at the end of the day, I just I just cannot accept someone assaulting one of my sergeants and getting away with it. And unfortunately, the system. In cases, like that, in cases like that, I understand 100. Um, right. But just you know, these rioters that are out there uh, indiscriminately doing you know the things that they do, um, it would we was especially first in the city of Portland, we'd be tied up the court forever. I, mean, I, I think I think you know police groups across the country really need to now raise the question about decriminalization. Like if this is the new umbrella of decriminalization, are we in some way um, becoming like the new Jim Crow um, in the criminal justice system? You know, and there's a book out on this uh, where we're trying to change the criminal justice system in order to have a negative impact on the black community and where we're seeing more and more victims. I mean, I, I never really thought about that till the conversation that we're having and the, the posting of the photos of all whites where these protests are having an impact, a negative impact. It is ultimately hurting people in the African-American community. And I, I think maybe somebody needs to start looking at that, what's really taking place. And, and those riots that took place in the city of Fort Wayne, said it was 150 days of rioting, 150 days plus from, from June all the way through the fall and through the election. Um, and what you have to say, those shootings, the shootings that went on in the city of Portland, they started to rise all summer long. They were being ignored because the protests took center stage. The riots took center stage. And, and nobody, was, nobody was really talking a lot about it except for us. Um, but, you know, everybody, oh, it's because of COVID and this and No, it's not because of COVID. Um, and, and one of the commissioners said, nationwide, this is happening. I said, nationwide, this is happening because police officers are being handcuffed and not allowed to do their jobs. They're being defunded. And not only that, police officers are being indicted. So nothing against firefighters, Ed, you know, but uh, we're becoming firemen. We go and we call. And that's it. There's no proactive policing. It doesn't pay off. There's no proactive policing. There's no, uh, we... The 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 the, uh, the deal about we we deal with crime and the fear of crime no longer exists. We wait till it happens. We go and we uh, clean up the clean up the mess as best we can and move on. And Daryl, the the big losers in this is the public. I mean, as well as the police officers. But there's people in uh, the worst neighborhoods in New York City that are begging for the police. They want the police, but yet the elected officials they're pretending that it's not happening. That shootings. They're, like, as you said before, they're blaming the uptick in crime on the pandemic. I think the pandemic has nothing to do with it because probably only 25% of the population in New York City is still in the city during the pandemic. So there were less victims around. Bill, you're making a great point. And, you know, the fact is the pandemic has nothing to do with it. We've, you know, in New York, laws have been changed. We've had bail reform change. We've had the compression bill added in, qualified immunity. We did away with anti-crime. None of those topics touched the pandemic. The communities that are most affected, you know, what we're affecting is the African-American communities. They're the ones that are 
having the greatest impact. And I, again, I raise the question, is this a movement that ultimately impacts the African-American communities? I'm, I'm really bothered by the fact that it's all white protesters and yet all white elected officials that are refusing to acknowledge this. And we that are on the ground are seeing it. It doesn't make sense. Uh, and I, I, there was a, a video, probably, well, there was a video probably uh, six, eight months ago. I can't remember exactly when. I, I lose track of time since I've been retired. <laughs> but um, there, there's a video that came out where in Denver, the mayor and the, the equivalent of the city manager, who are both African-American, told protesters, we don't want you here. You don't represent us. Don't come here. If you come here, you'll be arrested and you'll be sent to jail under the federal system. And uh, they had a COVID protocol for jails. He says, we're lifting the COVID protocols for you. And it seems like the voices of anybody who's black, who says, this is not about us. This is not about social justice or racial equity. Nobody listens to it. They only listen to the voices of people who say, this is all wrong. The police are, the police are racist. The, we have bad actors, just like anybody else in any other job. We all agree with that, Daryl. No one's well, And we want them gone. And we want them arrested if they commit crimes. And we want them not to be police officers if they're doing things they should not do that violate policy and, and, and have no ethics and they have bias and bigotries that come into the jobs that they do. But with that said, you have 800,000 law enforcement who 99.9% of them go out every day, they leave the sanctuary and safety of their own homes and their families to put their lives on the line potentially for somebody they don't even know irregardless of the race, creed, color, sexual orientation, yet we're taking a hit at the, the shoulder. We're, we're taking a hit for everything that's going wrong in society on the police because, like I said, those rungs in the ladder come down to when they all fail, law enforcement, you're standing in front of law enforcement because you have done something that is questionable uh, uh, when it comes to the laws of that state or county or, or uh, uh, area. It goes no, back. Darryl, they're perfectly willing for police officers to lose their lives. They don't bat an eye when a cop gets killed. In fact, in some jurisdictions, they're training cops now not to shoot center mass in a deadly physical force incident. Well, in the city, well, I, I, I was never going to shot to shoot somebody's leg or foot or hand. <laughs> you know, um, our job is to protect the public and protect ourselves. Our job is not to go out and get killed. And you're right. When a police officer is killed, we don't see a protest. Uh, and when a police officer is killed, they have a nice funeral, people have been flowers, they set up a little memorial, then you know, a week later it's all over with. Um, but when when we have rioters who are out there tearing up, burning, uh, looting, destroying property, um, nobody it, it's it's all our fault. We pissed them off so badly um, that uh, they did this. It's not their fault. They're not responsible for it. Everybody knows right from wrong. And it's wrong to destroy property. It's wrong to burn things. It's wrong to assault people. And it's wrong to do all those things. If you're going to protest, protest peacefully. I'm good with that. I don't care about uh, getting uh, getting permits to protest. I, I have I don't care about that. In America, you should be able to speak up when you want to, as long as you do it peacefully, as long as you do it lawfully, and as long as you do it respectfully of everybody else. I have no problem with that. I don't care what time of the day or where it's at. But when you go out and riot, when you go out and tear up things, uh, you should be arrested. And you well, the, be worst, arrested. the worst part is that they call it a peaceful protest and it's a riot and they're allowed to get away with it. And it's the same leadership that allows it. Um, do you believe, Daryl, that the anarchists are trying to topple government, overthrow government, make significant changes to government? What's the end goal? What do they want? I think that's what they say they're trying to do. I think these are young people who just believe we want to do what we want to do. And if that means to cause destruction, cause fires, cause businesses, it, makes, it, it gives them a sense of they beat the system, they beat the man, they beat the government. When they're not beating the system, beating the man, beating the government, they're beating up hardworking individuals who are losing their businesses and their livelihoods every day because of the destruction that they've caused. And, and they have no respect for other people's property, for other people's livelihoods, for other people's jobs. It's all about what they want to do. I do not believe they are really believe they can topple the government. I believe they just use that as a shield, as a smokescreen to do the things that they do. You know, Daryl, I interviewed a writer named Nancy Rommelman who went undercover for three or four months in Portland. 
And she said when she interviewed a lot of these rioters, they didn't even know why they were doing what they were doing. They couldn't even articulate to her what their goals were. So it's just like these rich kids that have nothing else to do. Maybe they can't get a job because, you know, they're spending too much time protesting or rioting, rather. Uh, and I don't think they're in that way a cohesive force with a cohesive goal, but they are organized at the same time. What's the morale like in the Portland PD, Daryl? Um, you know, and, and as you notice, morale is always not great in any police agency for right. years. There's always something, but this is, we have lost in the last two years, well, since 2018, I should say, not the last two years, since 2018, we've lost over 250 police officers due to retirement or resignations. Um, the people who retire, retire as soon as they can. The people who resign have gone to other places and worked for 10, 20, $30,000 less salary just to get away from Portland. Uh, and then there's some people who just left law enforcement totally um, because of the political dynamics, because of the way they're treated by the elected officials. Um, and I can tell you, probably all my career as a police officer, I stayed on the street for 20 years before I became union president. Um, and, and, and all my career, there wasn't a week that went by that two to three times a week, somebody wanted to buy coffee for me. Somebody wanted to buy my lunch. Or you'd be sitting at your lunch and you got to pay and the, the waiter or the waitress to say, well, somebody already paid for your lunch. That still happens. That still happens. But the problem is the loudest voices are the ones who get the media attention, the one who gets the attention from society. With well, 72% of the people in the city of Portland said we should not defund the police. That's 72% of the people. Well, I, I, in New York, there was a poll done, and I, I've said this quite often, that 85% of the people in communities of color want the police there. That's a high number, 85%. And you're right, we're not getting the, the message out there. Um, and I believe mainly because the media is not telling the story. They're not. And one of the reasons we're doing these podcasts is to get it out there on social media. But besides that, how else do we get the message out there? What do you suggest we do? Well, I think one of the things we have to do, we have to mobilize the people that support us. Um, in Portland, we call them the silent majority. majority. They, don't, they, don't, they want to be silent. They want to live their lives. They're, they're living somewhat of fear because guess what, Ed? If you can uh, dox, as we call it, you can dox a police officer, find out his address, find out his wife and kids' names, and go to their house and protest and put posters up in front of their house and call them murderer. What do you think a private citizen is going to think? What do you well, think? A I, don't, I don't think we should be doing that to the elected officials. I often think that we, as police officers, have an obligation to hold a constitution and we should expose the elected officials as they are creating the crime and the violence in other people's neighborhoods to direct them to their neighborhoods and jeopardize their families the way it goes. Unfortunately, that's not who we are and that's not really the right thing to do. But these that's people not, live with their heads. bad on us to do those things. But right. again, we're, we're, we're held to, as you know, we're held to that higher standard. People expect more from us, yet we're being victimized daily, vilified daily, criticized daily when nobody talks about the hundreds of thousands or millions of contacts we have every day. Just right. the other just the other day, uh, there was a picture of a, a Portland police officer, a young lady who's going to jump off one of the bridges. We have many bridges here. Uh, she was under she was under mental health crisis. The police officers not only talked her from jumping off the bridge, walked her to an ambulance holding her hand, just like you would walk holding your daughter's hand, uh, you know, to 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 the ambulance. Uh, not one elected official made a comment about that. Not one elected official. Not one. Saved a life of a person who probably never had any contact with the police whatsoever. Was a mental health crisis. Saved that person's life at least for now. Darrell, we had a mayoral debate here last week. It was the day after a police officer was shot in in Brooklyn, and not one candidate mentioned the officer being shot. Uh, this is what the streets of New York have turned to with the violence, the shootings, um, you know, the actions of police officers, you know, walking people off of bridges and saving lives and just in Times Square, uh, I'm sure it made national news. You know, we have a police officer carrying a four-year-old child through the street. Everyone wants to rally behind this now because it's Times Square in New York City. But this is happening all over the country. And, you know, the silent majority no longer can stay silent. They are going to be the real victim because once they get past us, there's nothing left. 
And this is going to become a much larger problem as we go forward. And it is, but I think a lot of people in the silent majority are afraid because they see what's happening in our our, our cities, New York, Chicago, but even Portland, even Portland. They're, they're afraid. You know what people are doing? Instead of speaking out and speaking up, they're just leaving. They're just going away. They're just moving. They're, they're leaving the city. So what we have here in the city of Portland, a lot of people who are transplants, especially from California uh, area, moving to Portland because, of course, you know, you, you sell a small little boss house in California for millions of dollars, and in Portland, you can buy a million-dollar condos. But the people who actually lived in Portland all their lives and, or most of their lives and grew up in Portland are leaving. They're leaving the city. Um, every time I write a post, uh, I get at least two to 300 people on those posts say, I'm leaving. I'm leaving Portland. Or I've left Portland, and this is the reason why. Um, and like I said, over the last three years, 260 officers have either retired or resigned because they're done. You know, they're done here, and they're not coming back. And right now we have people, six or seven every month, resigning and moving to other agencies to work. So they're not, they're not leaving because they don't want to be police officers. They're leaving because of the city of Portland, the political dynamics. Does the city of Portland make a comeback? I mean, we're losing the residents. Uh, somewhere along the line, it's going to have a huge impact to the tax base. You know, the, the business district is taking hits. Police officers are leaving. It's no longer a desirable job. Uh, you and I both know this is a great job, but yes. not on the conditions that's taking place now. But then, does the city of Portland come back? And if if so, how? Um, it can come back. It's going to take it's going to take a decade at least. That's how we started today. We start today and take a decade. Number one, you have to change your, your, your city government because right now, like I said, we have a weak mayor system and actually the other commissioners can outvote the mayor. So you have four commissioners in the mayor. You need three votes to get anything passed. The other commissioners can outvote the mayor and the mayor can sit there, you know, all he wants, although he doesn't advocate for us. People sit there and advocate for the police budget all he wants and, and it can still not happen. So we need to change our system of, gover of governing. Uh, that'll take a decade. Uh, we've lost major major uh, major uh, industries and businesses from the city of Portland and Portland area. They just, the, the last, or one of the last times we had a riot downtown, they burnt the Apple store. Uh, Apple probably employs 150 to 200 people. All those people are out of a job because guess what, it's closed. They're not opening back up and they're probably gonna leave the city. Um, so with that said, it'll take a lot of time, a lot of effort. I don't see it happening within a decade. And that's if we start today, with a concerted effort to do the right things. What would you tell cops as far as protecting themselves when they go out to work? We, we have cops on the street right now as we're speaking. What's your message to the cop on the street as to how to protect themselves? I say the, the two things is always be smart. Pay attention to what you're doing. Uh, don't do anything you know it's not the right thing to do. Um, I, 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 I tell them uh, that they have to remember, they don't work for the mayor. They don't work for the chief of police. They don't work for Daryl Turner, the executive director of the PPA. They work for the citizens out there. Do the right thing by the citizens, and you most of the time you'll be fine. But Ed, as you know, we're in a dynamic today that you can do your job and still be indicted. You can do your job and still lose your job. It's, it's all up to the political winds of the city. So even by doing the right things and telling our people to do the right things, that doesn't always work out for us. I, you know, it would be disingenuous for us to say, it's going to be okay, you're going to be fine. Because it's not always going to be okay, you're not always going to be fine. But what I do tell them is, we will stand by you 100%. You will never have to worry about representation. Um, and just like you, and just like other police unions across the country, we've built up stronger, uh, uh, stronger uh, alliances with other unions to make sure that, hey, what are we doing? What are they doing? What's, what, what, what's Ed Mullins doing in New York City? With the SBA, what's their alternative doing in Portland with uh, PPA? What's uh, uh, Paul Kelly doing in, 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 in San Jose? You know, what's Barry Donald doing in Oakland? What, what can we do that we can share and help each other with? Um, we're, we're all talking more. We're all talking very regularly and working together on a regular basis, and we're starting to have an impact the opposite way. Yes. And, you know, anybody who wants to become a police officer uh, in this country today has to understand the dynamics of the job. But they also have to understand they're represented, and, and that you know we we uh, we uh, we will be we will be there for you. Um, we can't never promise you uh, uh, you know I call it a, a golden uh, golden unicorns, but uh, 
we can promise that we will stand behind you if you do the right thing 100% and we will go to the bat with you. And we, tell bad, and we tell bad cops that we will make sure we weed you out and you will be gone and we will not represent you and we will not protect you because you make us all look bad. You know, there's a belief, though, that we don't weed out bad cops. And, and I've said many times that we eat our own better than any other organization. No cop has wanted to work with a bad cop. And we all know how that takes place. You know, you and I could be in a car and I don't want to work with you. And I go to Bill and I say, Bill, I don't want to work with him. Why? I just don't want to work with him. Bill now knows he's got a problem with you. And, yeah. and he loves to deal with that. And that's happening across the country. And, and, I, and I tell people of my tenure, the ten years I was union president, that more than more than more than a dozen, more than maybe close to a couple of dozen police officers have come in my office and I said, "You're not a criminal, you're not a bad person, but you've done something that no longer allows you to be a police officer." Am I supposed to post that out so that people can see it, so that I can embarrass their families as well, so I can embarrass their kids at school? Can I embarrass their their spouses who have to go to work in other jobs? Why would I do that? They have done nothing criminal, and as you know. If a police officer does something criminal, they're plastered on the front of every newspaper. They're, the local news is right there at 6 o'clock with, with, with Ed Mullen's face, with Daryl Turner's face on it if we do something wrong. Uh, our police officers, if they get a DUI, their story on the news. Um, so, so Even retired, retired police officers, well, if, if people were a police officer for one year, 25 years ago, the headline reads, ex-cop arrested for DWI. That's right. Yes. Let alone arrested for killing somebody in Georgia, ex-cops. Right. So, right. so yeah, exactly what happens? Exactly. So you know, I tell people all the time. I say I love this job. This is to me. I tell people I grew up as a Yankee fan. I got pinstripes in my blood, and this is like playing center field in Yankee Stadium on a spring day, beating the hell out of the Boston Red Sox. That's what this job is like to me. It always has been. You just you know, made uh, uh, we all we all love this job, but one of the things. We have to keep fighting for for the people that are on this job now to be able to do what we used to do because the politicians and the political climate, they're taking away all the tools that the good police need to do their job. And you spoke before, what would you tell cops to do? And one of the things that you probably should tell them is you probably shouldn't be proactive. You probably should just respond and do your job because being proactive in this climate is going to get you in trouble. It, it can, but I think Ed can tell you. You know this too. You know this too. Uh, we came home. We were like we were like puppies. We were wagging our tail and chasing everything that moved uh, because that's just the way it was. As we learned how to do this job and we honed our skills, we realized how to work work smarter. But we also learned how to, to take care of the communities. Like I said earlier, we took responsibility for the areas of town we work. I don't know what they call them in New York. We call them our districts here in the city of Portland. We took care of our districts. I was responsible for my district, and I felt responsibility if, if somebody was doing something they shouldn't do or if somebody needs something, I felt like I needed to get that for them. So that's the way we – and I get that. We have to tell them to be careful. It's not about getting in trouble now. It's not about getting a day off. It's about getting indicted. But it's hard to, it's hard to, it's hard to tell people who want to do this job because it takes a certain makeup to do this job just like it takes a certain makeup to be a brain surgeon or it takes a certain makeup to be a professional baseball player. Everybody doesn't have the talent and skills to do this job. And if you find somebody that has the talents and skills, you don't want to you don't want to, to, to muzzle it so they can't do their job. But yet, no, you're right 100%. You have to tell them this is the real deal. And this is the way you have to police. Police officers today have to be a lot better, a lot smarter than Ed and I where we first started because they can't just run around their tails wagging chasing everything that moves anymore. Darrell, we have someone from the live chat who's a, ver a very valued uh, psychologist who works with the NYPD, Dr. Stephen Washkel. And he asked, he wants to ask you a question. Are you seeing an increase in emotional issues in cops in Portland, given the current state of affairs? And if so, how is it being addressed? And so just recently, and uh, I, I, I want to thank, uh, she's now the... Uh, I, I, Commissioner of Police in, in Philadelphia, Daniel Outlaw, who was the chief of police here, they did start a wellness program so that officers two days a week on their Monday and their Friday take an hour out of their work shift and are able to work out, go walk, uh, do read a book, um, do Tai Chi, whatever relaxes them other than going to a bar drinking or doing something stupid, but just the, the regular, they're able to do that. With that said, 
people have to understand, you stand on a protest line and people are throwing rocks, bricks, frozen bottled water bottles at you, human fecal matter, human, uh, human urine, and all kinds of other biohazards at you, calling, your, calling you all kinds of names, telling the things they'll do to your wives and kids when they get them, and then doxing you while you're standing there saying, Officer Turner, oh, you live at this address in Fairview, Oregon. Let's go to his house. All those things. I am concerned about the mental health, not just of every individual officer, but of the police department, the police bureau as a whole. As a whole. But the when I say by that, I mean, yeah, every other police officer, but the, all the police officers together have a mentality for the bureau. I'm, 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 I'm really scared for everybody's mental health on the bureau individually as well as a whole. Because I do believe with that much pressure, 150 plus days of, of riots and dealing with just what I just talked about, things being thrown at you and being, being verbally and physically assaulted, um, that sooner or later, you know, the suicide rate nationwide for police officers is going to go up. Um, the alcoholism rate, the divorce rate, all those things that happen to us that we're already in the, the high numbers of because of the stress of the job will just get that much worse. Agreed. Well, Dr. Waskell liked your answer. He gave you an excellent. So you got an A on your paper. Right. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. How many credits does he get for that, Bill? <laughs> uh, he'll give you three credits. He'll mail it to Portland. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. We'll mail it to Portland. I'll get charged. <laughs> Listen, we're just about out of time. Daryl, I, I want to thank you. Uh, and I want to bring it back. This is very interesting what's occurring. You've shed a lot of light um, on policing in Portland that we're seeing across the country. I also think, and I think we need to do a little research on this. We have raised a very interesting question. If this new effort to decriminalize and defund the police is designed to ultimately um, create more violence in communities of color, that's really puzzling to me because I see the, the shot, the, the shootings that are occurring, the body count keeps increasing, and no one's paying attention to it. I, I think this has been a really good conversation. And thank you. And, and Bill, once again, thank you. Um, and for all the cops that are out there, you are the good guys. We know you're the good guys. It's a noble job. And don't give up because we're going to take this back and, and make things right. Um, thank you. Uh, I want to thank you guys for having me on. It's a pleasure to, to, to meet you, Bill, and to, and to see you again. Um, and uh, too long, too far. But, uh, you know, uh, like, like, like I said, this is like playing baseball in Yankee Stadium the spring day. And that feeling is just like, it's just like an old glove. You put it on and it feels so good because that's the way this job is. And it's just a shame that it's been tainted by vilifying and pointing the finger and putting all the blame of what's happening in this country, the divisions in this country on the shoulders of police officers and law enforcement, not just police officers, law enforcement in general, nationwide, um, so that we are now not able to do our job in the way that we should and this, this country is becoming divided. Um, and it's not just left and right. Or, or it's not just Republican, Democrat, or lefty, righty. It's becoming divided in so many ways. And it's all due to the fact that we want to blame somebody for the mistakes. And it's the mistakes that our political elected officials have made. They are the real bad guys. And not all of them, but they are the real bad guys because they're letting this happen. And they're not doing anything to change it. Well, well said, Daryl. We're going to take it back, and that is well said, Daryl. Um, and you will be back. Thank you again, Bill. Have a great night. Good night take Darryl. care. Good night, Bye. Bye. Bye.